This is Coda Radio, episode 300, for March 15th, 2018. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us for an unbelievable 300 weeks, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. 300 weeks of power. Jeez, it is, it is it's kind of amazing when you say that. It's, it's so, so unbelievable. It's really kind of hard to even wrap our head around. Uh, so we got a bunch of really fun stuff we're going to announce to celebrate episode 300. We thought we were going to do nothing, and then it really turned into a whole team effort, uh, so a, bunch of, a bunch of really great work by Angela. Mike and I got some secret plans going behind the scenes, and it resulted in well, a hell of a bang for the, for 300. I'm like I'm like shocked because we went from like almost nothing when I left for scale to heck of a show. But it's good to be back. We waited till Thursday to do Coda Radio 300 so that way I could be in studio. So I've returned from the California area and I survived, Mike. I survived their weird gas pumps. You've never pumped gas until you've pumped gas in California. Let me tell you. Wait, the pump the pump is different? Yeah, man. They got these low vape nozzle headers that they've retrofitted all of the pumps with. And they've also removed like the little latch where you can lock the handle down so it just keeps pumping. Oh, what the hell? Yeah, well, here's the best part. So Fords have this really great feature that they added to their cars a few years ago where there's no gas cap. It's a capless gas system. And it has a little door that opens and closes, and it's great. No more gas cap to touch. No more stinky fingers. But it doesn't play well with California's low vape nozzle retrofit and i'm basing this on the fact that we had two ford um uh rentals that both experienced this problem and it was one of these things where the the thing would pop every five seconds it'd take 20 minutes to fill your vehicle so i had to get the hell out of there had to come back here get in studio so that way we could do 300 in studio uh how are you doing that's a lot about me how have, how have you been doing mike how are you doing you know what? You know, I was reflecting because, you know, 300 episodes is a lot, right? Like I was reflecting on what have we learned in 300 episodes? And you know what I uh, think we've both learned? Mm. We hate California. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to. Because we've never gotten that email. Uh, we're, you know, we are going to have to do some reflection later on in the show. But why don't we start out with an email as we do here on the program? We like I to do it. that. And uh, this first one comes in from Noah, not Noah Chalaya, a different Noah. And uh, he has a question about side projects, maybe hurting him more than helping him. He says, guys, I've been, been a big fan listening for years. I have a question. Is there such a thing as a bad side project? I'm a web dev by day, and I work on Django and Angular, those types of things. But recently, I've been really interested in making my own video game just for fun. My concern is that video games are typically made in one of like the C languages, like C or C++, maybe even C Sharp, which... Is not something I've ever used, and it's not something I use at work. Would you guys think that this would be a would Would you guys think that this would be 
bad, uh, would look bad to my employer if I ever tried to put it on my resume for a potential future job. Or if my employer were to ask about a side project, I fear that I may interpret that. I fear that they would interpret that I am not passionate about web development, which I am. What do you guys think? Is this no big deal or could it hurt me further down in my career? It's a tough question. I see where he's going because, you know, we've talked about this in different different approaches like uh, sometimes when you go down something and you experiment with a different language than you typically work with, you learn something that makes you better at your core job. But what do you think? I mean, I, I, first of all, who hasn't been seduced by the desire to think you're going to write a video game in a few months? Done it many times. It's, um, I don't, you know, as someone who is an employer and does that kind of thing, right? I certainly don't see that as a negative. Mm. I might, what I might do is I might ask you, okay, so you made a game on the side. That's awesome. Tell me what what you picked technology-wise and methodology-wise, and why did you pick it? Just I'll, I'll treat it like any other job, right? Any other, whether it was a client project that you had as a freelancer or, in fact, in a lot of ways, I think it's a good thing because if it's your side project, you're making all those decisions that really can influence, you know, the work I'm going to have you be doing, right? So Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, now, if you're... you couldn't tell me, if you couldn't tell me, like reasonable answers to why you did things, then yeah, that would be bad. You're also exercising a learning muscle that you don't get a lot of use out of once you become really comfortable with something. And uh, it's a good skill to keep fresh, and it's a way to keep something fresh, sort of like uh, uh, just sort of incubating something, keep, keep that going while you still focus on your main thing. I, I don't think there's anything bad about it because uh, it's really going to come down to the results and uh, how you balance your focus and your commitments. And as long as you continue to do that correctly and deliver on your commitments as far as they're concerned, I don't think you're going to have any problem. It's a net positive as far as they're concerned, I'm sure. Now, um, there's a lot There's a lot we could talk about this week, including that uh, calendar app that was mining cryptocurrency. It's a new kind of shareware. But let's take a moment and let's talk about the Coda Radio Super Show, which we are doing today on the program. Mm, now, here's a, little, here's a little fact for you. First episode of Coda Radio was released on June 11th, 2012. Now, to put wow. that in perspective, because it's like, wow, that does seem like a long time ago. Here's what was going on that year, around that time. The uh, Mars Curiosity rover landed on Mars. Obama was reelected for a second term. Eric Holder was held in contempt of Congress. The world was supposed to end on December 21st. Stupid Mayan calendar. And the space shuttle Endeavor had its final flight. Microsoft also released Windows 8 that year. And Instagram finally released a version for Android in 2012. And of course, the big one, Facebook went public that year with an initial stock offering that was $38 per share. That was what, those are some of the things that were going on the year that we launched. Kind of puts in perspective how long ago it was. Obama getting reelected. <laughs> oh, such simpler times. And now... Different times. Back when we had a space shuttle and Windows 8. Oh, what a train wreck that was. It feels like Windows 8 was longer ago. Uh, they really... Wow. They pulled out Windows 10. We watched all of that. We watched the train wreck of Windows 8, the RT stuff. Cause you, Metro. Yeah, it was a whole the, debacle. Yeah, that release of Windows 8 really is them trying to do Metro, the single, single right once, run across all their platforms. That was big when we launched the show. It was really big. <sighs> so much has changed. So uh, after 300 weeks and uh, many, 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 many days, 
we thought it was time to uh, upgrade the show. So we're adding new features to your Coda Radio program at the same great free cost. Uh, some stuff that you won't even notice, except for maybe a few very eagle-eyed listeners. We've totally reworked the back end for Coda Radio starting with this episode. So assuming it goes out, the new back end works. It's way faster. It's based on industry best practices, which allows us to do really cool things like publish the Coda Radio program to Spotify now. And uh, it utilizes the Cashfly CDN to distribute the downloads crazy fast, essentially as fast as you can slam them on your device. So if you fire up your podcast app on your mobile, when you're running out the door and you've only got 30 seconds of Wi-Fi before you're pulling out of the driveway, you're going to get the Coda Radio program. I'm all about that. It's really great. I'm super stoked about that. We also have a new RSS feed for the program. This is important. And you can get it directly. You can enter it directly into your RSS catcher of choice. It's coder.show slash RSS. Coder.show slash RSS. If you want to select from like Overcast or Pocket Cast or look at our different options as we add them, you can go to coder.show slash subscribe for all the different ways to subscribe to the weekly show. Now, with the new RSS feed, and I am forwarding the old feed, but you may want to just resub to make sure you're getting it directly. But with the new RSS feed, we're going to address some long-standing requests for the Coder Radio program. We're going to include links in the RSS feed for all the stuff we talk about, including on mobile podcast clients, because our current infrastructure can only deliver the description and the embed link. It cannot distribute the HTML link structured properly in a way that isn't devastatingly ugly. But the new feed will, so you will now get links in your mobile apps and uh, on your desktop podcast or wherever you're grabbing them. And um, we'll also have a new contact page, which is, I'm hoping, a little bit easier to fill out and also flags them specifically in my inbox as Coder Radio listener feedback. So now it's like, I got these areas that will just bring your emails right up. So Monday morning or whatever day we're doing the show, I go into this folder and bam, there's all your feedback. It's all been pre-categorized, pre-labeled. You get that at coder.show slash contact. So it's a new contact page. If you're not guessing, we have a new site, coder.show. And all this stuff is linked there. Um, and as part of this new transition, I feel like Coder Radio deserves a doubling down on investment from Jupiter Broadcasting. That's why we're redoing the back end. And the other, the other thing that we're going to change is at least for a little while, I am personally going to take over the editing on the show. And I have a goal of incremental improvements to our sound. Hopefully you'll begin to notice it over the next couple of weeks. And we're just going to keep iterating. It's going to be a process. And as part of my editing, I'm going to start including chapter markers in the MP3 file. So if you're sick of us talking about hardware or sick of us talking about Apple or apps or whatever it is, whatever the particular discussion is that always triggers you, you can now skip over that entire section with one tap to the next topic. It'll be all bookmarked in the MP3, and you'll just need a podcast catcher that supports chapter markers. No more complaints, no more concerns. We can talk about what we want, and you guys can skip right over it, and we'll know. We'll know, too. So we're able to see what people are skipping. It depends on the podcast catcher, but we actually get some data on that, and it'll help make the show better. It depends on, the, like I say, the player, but we do get some data on that. And one of the things we're also going to do is standardize the way you get to all the show notes. We're going to make it dead simple with the new site. So you go to coder.show slash episode number, and that's it. You want links for everything we talked about today? Coder.show slash 300. Couldn't be simpler. Coder.show slash 301. 
dot, you know, just a slash episode number. You get the links, you get the download. You can send time coded links from there. So if Mike said something crazy about Rust, you can go right to that coder.show slash 300. You can find the link with time code and you can send people time coded links to the Coder Radio program now. So it's coder.show for the new site, coder.show slash RSS to plug directly into your RSS client. Coder.show slash subscribe for all of the different links just on a web page for subscribing. And coder.show slash contact for the ways to get in contact. The secret is just go to coder.show. Get the new feed, engage in the new contact form. It's all going to be totally revamped. And for those of you that are on mobile listening on podcast catchers, which is our number one demographic now, wasn't when the show necessarily started. I don't even know if that was a thing, but it is now. And so it's time for the Coder Radio to sort of modernize a little bit. So we're going to start doing multi-track audio recording and editing. We're going to start publishing all of our links in the mobile client so that way when you're on your podcast listening device, whatever it might be, for me it's Overcast. A lot of you love Pocket Cast. I hear about AntennaPod and Player.fm and all kinds of other podcast clients. Now that's going to be a first-class experience. You're going to get chapter markers. You're going to get links. It's going to blast down on your device as fast as freaking possible I hope it's going to make it just a little bit more competitive. And then over the next few weeks, we'll keep iterating on our sound to make it even sound better and better. And it's all at coder.show. You can still go to the Jupiter Broadcast website. It's still going to be published there as well. But the primary home is coder.show. And uh, hopefully that'll be a good resource for people that are new to the show and people that have been listening to the show for quite a while. And you'll get to use the new fancy back end just by listening to the show, which I'm really excited about. Get some TLC up in this business, Mike, for the 300, you know? So we're rolling all these new features out. As part of episode 300, it's like a feature release. How about that? Hmm? But wait, there's more. There is more. There is more. You're right. <laughs> we should have. You People would almost think we rehearsed that, but we did not. Uh, we got to do some swag. If nothing else, Mike and I want it. And so we're doing sort of an assortment of, uh, of things. First of all, we've got a T-shirt. We've got a T-shirt and a hoodie. Teespring.com slash Coder 300. Links are in the show notes. You can get yourself a Coder 300 T-shirt. Uh, which, by the way, looks th- that white three that white Coder Radio okay. logo with a three hundred on it looks really good with the green shirt. Just at some of the demos I've seen, so that's Teespring.com/slash/Coder three hundred. We got the shirt and the hoodie. Depending on where you live, you can pick whatever is best for your temperature. And then we have my favorite swag item: Coder Radio coasters. We have freaking coasters now for the Coder Radio program. How amazing is this? So it, it could be for water. It totally could be for water. It might be for a gin and tonic. I mean, I'm not saying. what. Oh, you, I don't know anything about that. No, I'm not. I'm, what, 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 what do we know? We're just saying. Uh, but yeah, check that out. Uh, it's a Zazzle URL, so it's long and complicated. But we'll have a link in the show notes for that at coder.show slash 300. The Coder Radio coaster. I've got some in the studio right now. Hear me. Whoa, 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 whoa there, whoa there. I think this is so cool. And you got some too. I saw you demoing it, quote unquote, on your... I'm using one for my tea right now, actually. (laughs) Awesome. $1.50 for a a coaster. So get like a few of them. (laughs) And then one of the things that we started doing with Unfilter that I think we should keep doing for all the shows, it looks so cool. It looks even better in, in person too is we're launching, for a limited time, a Coda Radio 300 poster. And what it is, it's a word cloud of all of our different titles forming the 300. And it's a, it's, it's a nice-looking, glossy poster. I've got one in the hallway for uh, Unfilter, and I, I really like it. I can't quite get it to fit on the frame for the video people, but I'll have to just bail on that. It's not going to work. Uh, and it looks so good, Mike. It's And it's clever, too, because what you get to do is... 
you you walk up to it and you you see all the different titles and you think about oh yeah I remember that oh yeah I remember that oh that's a funny title and so away from it you see the three hundred but up close it's all the different crazy titles we've used for this like I'm reading some of them right now I- clustered pie. Coder Inquisition, <laughs> back-end yeah, lock-in. Freelancer, yeah. love it. <laughs> so that's the poster. That's also a Zazzle long URL. Uh, we're just doing these as limited things. We're not We're not like going to make a fortune off this. There might be a slight profit, but uh, check it out at the show notes, coder.show slash 300. We got the T-shirt and the hoodie. We got the posters and, of course, the Coder Coasters. <laughs> coder Coasters. All that's over there. So whole new features, all that stuff. Why don't we, uh, why don't we just uh, catch our breath for a moment? You good with that? We catch our breath. Let's talk about DigitalOcean because um, they're giving away something pretty great, too. If you go to do.co slash coder, you can get a limited $100 credit. Now, I believe you will have to put a valid credit card on file, but they're not going to charge it until after you use that $100 in credit. Now, DigitalOcean is simplicity at scale, and they traditionally offer a $10 promo. And you could get you can really get pretty far with their crazy fast infrastructure and scale up pretty fast to a pretty beefy system with a $10 credit. So when they come around offering a $100 credit, I would really jump on this if you've ever been on the fence. Go to do.co slash coder to, get adva- to take advantage of the limited time offer. Once you apply, you've got 60 days to rock. You can also go, if, you're not, if, you, if uh, you've already have an account but you haven't applied a promo and you just want to get the $10 credit and support the show, you can do that as well. It's Coder Digital. You apply that to your account. So what is DigitalOcean? Now, if you've never heard us talk about it, it's, it's really our trick to look professional and have fast infrastructure on demand because they've taken care of all the hard stuff. Everything's SSD-based. They've got eight data centers all over the world. They're deploying Linux and KVM systems. It's rocking fast, 40 gigabit connections coming into these hypervisors. And they've placed the data centers in key places that have extremely, extremely good bandwidth, generally generally at critical connection points on the Internet. So you you can get on their boss-level infrastructure for just unbelievable prices. My favorite rig is just three cents, three cents an hour. And they're offering a $100 credit here when you go to do.co slash coder. And they have everything you need to set up a system and get ready to go. If you want to just deploy an entire GitLab stack with an Ubuntu LTS and a Docker container, and it's all set up the way you want it, you do it in seconds. If you want to build a system from the ground up, you can do that too. And they have an API that's easy to follow, clearly documented. And I'm guessing, although I don't know, but I'm guessing their entire DigitalOcean dashboard, their whole UI to manage all of this is an API client because everything's there. You want to expand a disk, you can do it via the API. You want to shut down a system, you can do it via the API. You want to take a snapshot or a backup, you can do it via the API, which means there's tons of good code already written that you can just grab and use, or you can write something yourself. You know, we've got, we've got, we've got a Ruby bot that does it. And it's great. It's just awesome. It's so easy to start working with because it's whatever level you want to jump in. If you're a newbie, you've never even set up a web server before, or if you've been deploying servers for 13 years, it's, it's going to work for you. And then whenever you get stuck, they have world-class documentation, world-class. They, they really they have a full-time editorial team that really works to make that stuff clean and easy to follow. DigitalOcean.com and get our $100 limited time promo at do.co slash coder. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program, longtime supporters of the show, and helping us get to 300 episodes, do.co slash coder. It's tough out there to make money selling software. Shareware was a thing. Remember Neg Screens? You can use this for 15 days, and then you have to pay. And then there was in-app purchases. Well, entrepreneuring developers on the Mac platform created an app that's designed to manage your calendar, and it's called Creatively Calendar 2. 
And one of the things they decided to do to monetize their application was to offer users a few different options. Number one was you could activate all of the features permanently for a one-time $17.99 charge. Number two is you could subscribe at $0.99 a month to get the features of the application, all of them, for $0.99 a month. Or the default option, choose nothing, pay nothing, and the calendar will, quote, unobtrusively mine cryptocurrency in the background. And that's how they're monetizing the application. And before Apple kicked them out of the Apple of the Mac App Store, they made $2,000 in three days by quietly mining cryptocurrency on Mac users. And they couldn't have had, what, more than 100 or so? I mean, they couldn't have had thousands and thousands of users. This is the damn Mac App Store we're talking about. So it could have only probably only a few hundred people mining crypto to pay for the app. How about that for a monetization strategy, Mr. Dominic? <laughs> you like that? <laughs> So when I saw this, I didn't think it was real. I was I was surprised. It actually made news uh, when it entered the store before Apple even kicked it out. I was like, yeah. "How did Apple let this happen?" Then Apple was like, "Yeah, no, we're we're, we're kicking this out." Yeah. Um, I kind of think this is one of the few cases Apple's right to kick something out. Now, Apple does have a policy that says your application must be designed to use. Um, to, or it's uh, I think the verbiage is to be power efficient as possible is the guideline. I, I'm not sure that like mining cryptocurrency for some app developer is what you want to be doing. I agree. But uh, at the same time, if they're clear about it, if they're saying, hey, this has an $18 value to us. And uh, if you mine crypto, what, what about this? What if they say if you mine cryptocurrency for two weeks, you'll be paid up? Like if they're super clear about it, it's like a it's like a splash screen when you first launch the application. They're they're one hundred percent transparent about it. You know what? This might be my old madness coming out. It just it just seems bad to me. Yeah, I'm torn because uh, the open source cryptocurrency enthusiast in me says this could be a new way for a win win for users to get free apps and for developers to monetize in a way that isn't skeevy that doesn't require even setting up stripe and setting up a subscription service uh you just you know mine the crypto and send it to a wallet and it's all happening in the background and you could even nice it to a certain level to make sure it doesn't abuse a person's system i i would really like to know what the audience thinks about this because i also agree with you there's going to be a lot of people that have no idea what's going on it's going to burn through laptops faster it's if you start to even get more than one or two applications to start doing this, you're going to have a massive fight for resources on people's computers. So let us know what you guys think. Coder.show slash contact. Um, I'm torn. I'm 50-50 torn on this one because it yeah. almost seems like what you'd need is like some centralized crypto mining service that every application could participate in. Because if they all are off on their own mining crypto, it's going to be a God time. knows what on your system. Yeah, so Apple kicked them out. But they did generate $2,000, which makes me think if they did that in three days on the Mac App Store. Oh, yeah, no, they, they would have had some money here. I yeah, guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, just a quick one. I don't even think I tossed this one in the dock. Uh, but while we're talking Hoopla, did you see that Google just announced the change of Android Wear to Wear OS? So no more Android Wear. It's now Wear OS. I don't know if you... I don't really yeah, have that, any thoughts that, on that, but... Google needed one more OS. It's... Yeah, I wake up every morning thinking it's time. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. I I think uh, once they get Fuchsia out, and uh, once they get, uh, you know, also they need another OS, like they need another uh, messaging platform. 
But uh, this is this is to better. They, they say they want to do this because they they're trying to make it clear that certain Wear functions also work on iOS, and so calling it um, Android Wear uh, is uh, or calling it Android Wear makes it sound like it only works with Android devices. So calling it just Wear OS. Speaking of iOS devices, yeah, I also went to the Apple Store, Chris. Who who else went and to the Apple Store? You say also. Who else went? You, you did. You have a HomePod. Oh, she's still giving me a hard time about that. Okay, yeah. I picked up an Apple Watch. Oh, you did? Really? I am living the wearable lifestyle in the Apple world. You know what? It is uh, significantly better than every Android Wear yeah. watch I've ever used. Yeah, I have owned um, I have owned three Android Wear devices. I have owned two Pebbles, and now I've owned two Apple Watches. Because what I do is I buy them and sometimes return them, or what I also have done is I've gifted them to family and friends. And then they usually know, like my dad and my lady and you know the kids, they know like dad wants or uh, Chris wants some feedback on how that's all working. And so I, I still get active feedback. I gave my last Android Wear watch to Chase from Unfilter. And he still tells me, you know, he tells me about all the things he's trying with it. And he's an enthusiast too. So he really tries to push it. But I, I completely agree. There is wearable devices like Fitbit and Android Wear. And then there's the Apple Watch, which is a different device it's it's closer to a computer on your wrist but it's smooth too it's smooth so why'd you get it why did you drop the money i mean why out of nowhere go get an apple watch uh well i'm working on a project that does have an apple watch integration oh you sneaky you sneaky you sneaky dog sneaky sneaky yeah Yeah, that makes sense and and Uh, you know it's a customer product but it's interesting because the development experience, like where the user experience on the Apple Watch is phenomenal. And I've like done a little bit of Apple Watch integration before, but like never enough to care. Um, it has not improved yeah. like yeah. much at all. Yeah, the apps really suck. The apps, I think, yeah. I think there's, I think if you're buying an Apple Watch to use apps, you're going to be really disappointed. Well, even to develop apps. I mean, it, it's, it's surprising how just like, I know this is a bad analogy and people are going to not like it, but it reminds me of like the, those old Java UI frameworks from the 90s, like very rigid and not very good. Well, I'll tell you what I suspect, having used the Apple Watch for quite a while, is it's the way Apple fundamentally approached it. They designed it as a device that is dependent on a master device, the phone, and it's got to have a Bluetooth or a Wi-Fi connection back to that device. A lot of the application processing happens on the iPhone device, and then it sends the data over to the watch. Yeah. And yeah. and now these watches have built-in LTE modems, they have Wi-Fi radios, they need to be independent operators that are not connected to the iPhone at all. Um, and it, I think that initial design choice inhibits the applications and it limits what you can do on the thing. And the SDK probably reflects that, I would imagine. Yeah, the, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly what the SDK looks like. Um, which I, I don't, um, you know, I don't know why Apple, because originally, right, the, the issues were uh, battery life for the Apple Watch because the original version was very weak, right? Didn't last too long. But it seems silly now when having used Android Wear, which I has lots of problems. I'm not like, but you can do more interesting things on Android Wear. The problem is you have no install base, and the people who do have them, there are like wide variations between the different watches. Uh, yes, that has definitely been my experience. Um, yeah. Hmm. You know what strikes me about this 
is uh, Google, Amazon, and Apple are all moving into health and media in a really, really kind of big way. And Apple and, and, and Android Wear, or now Wear OS specifically, are going to have different shots at like monitoring your heart, your blood pressure, your glucose levels, like all these things they're experimenting with with these watches right now. They're about to enter a totally new market. And you got to wonder, like, what is the downsides to that? And what are the opportunities for developers at the same time? I'm really torn on that because it feels like it could be extremely invasive. It also feels like it could be very monetizable for people creating different apps for activities or biohacking or whatever. It's going to be a goldmine for some folks. But, uh, you know, looking at this, at first I would have thought, no, Apple's changed the most since we started this show. And then I would have thought about it some more. I would have said Microsoft. No, it's really been Microsoft. They made that pivot to really yeah. actually committing to Linux and open source. Uh, but when I think about it, I think it's actually Amazon. I think Amazon. Really? Yeah. I mean, if you think about the fact that EC2 runs the entire internet now, and uh, Amazon also is the third most valuable company in the world. And in 2014, they were totally missing all of their targets. But this year, last quarter, they made a $60 billion profit. Um, mm. And they now get 40% of all spending by U.S. customers online. 54% of U.S. households with internet use have Prime. 54% of U.S. households that have internet have Prime. The Echo has 30,000 skills. It's way ahead of all of the competition. They're going to be selling pharmaceuticals soon. And, and they're launching deeper and deeper into online services. I, 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 and then I look at Prime now, too. They're becoming a media company. Um, by early 2017, Amazon had an audience of 26 million for all Prime video programming, which is like the films, the TV show. Uh, that's pretty good. 2017, they had 26 million Prime Video program watchers. Uh, they're they're firing on every single cylinder. They're about to open up a new headquarters, the headquarters two. Uh, I don't know. I, I think Amazon might be the sleeper because everything they've been doing has been at the infrastructure level for so long, and on uh, and on the stuff that we don't really keep a close eye on, which is the brick and mortar like domination game. That. Uh, I think they've sort of just arrived all of a sudden from our perspective, but they're such a huge player, especially in IT. Uh, I just think Amazon might be the real company to be watching out of all of these, like out of the Apples and the Googles and the Microsoft. I mean, their game is kind of figured out, but Amazon's just kind of getting started in a way. You know what I mean? Like they still have Walmart to kill. They're opening up grocery stores. They just bought Whole Foods. Um, they bought Twitch. Uh, they just bought Ring. Uh, so, and they're going into home security products now. They're going to completely own the home. They're turning your home into a store. It's interesting. I, w I, w I really wouldn't have thought of them like that uh, in terms of changing over the time we've been doing the show. But I guess, I guess you're right. I mean, they are in a lot of ways becoming, I don't even know, and it's to borrow a term from uh, Steve, Steve Jobs in the 90s, your digital hub, right? I'm thinking about all the things in my house that effectively run on you know, she who will not be named right um or the fact that my first even you know for my business my first thing is oh let's see what the amazon price is buy it on amazon right because it's just easier um and there's certainly they've certainly gotten significant leadership in the emerging technologies i mean they embrace stalker and containerization very fast yeah yep and they've been rewarded handsomely for it i mean they are leading the pack in terms of um 
with with AWS Lambda. Um, I can't remember the name of the technology now. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, also, uh, I, one thing I wanted to toss in there was <clears throat> there's a term that's being coined by the industry, uh, by startups, and it's called being Amazon, which means to have your business crushed because the company got into your industry. Uh, and fear of being Amazon has become such a defining feature of commerce. Uh, it's easy to forget that, you know, around the start of our show, it was already beginning, but around, you know, around that time, Amazon was still predominantly a bookstore. They were a, they were a larger, they were bigger than that then, but uh, that was still what they were predominantly known for is that this, the discussion was, I think Amazon is going to put Barnes and Noble out of business. I don't think there's going to be more bo- book and mortar bookstores, uh, brick and mortar bookstores because Amazon is going to put them out of business. Well, now that's a foregone conclusion. Now that's obvious. Of course that was going to happen. But when the show started, that was the conversation. And now look at them. Now they run the internet. And uh, Jeff Bezos has multiple deals with uh, the CIA to run private infrastructure, and he just bought a huge mansion in Washington, D.C. Bezos is like a serious player now in politics, and their company is a massive player on the Internet. <laughs> All right, but don't they remind you of someone else named Microsoft in the 90s now? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, Google does more of that uh, than Amazon. Amazon feels like something new, you know, because they started as a retailer, and and, and now they've morphed into an infrastructure company and a media company, and they're soon going to become a pharmaceutical seller and a home security company. I don't know, man. I don't know. You know, we do have some, you know, speaking of looking back, we do have some really, really good data from Stack Overflow. So before we get there, let's take a moment and thank Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. It's a platform to learn more about Linux and everything around Linux. The stuff that makes you look great on the resume and the stuff that will really challenge you and push your career forward. LinuxAcademy.com slash boom coders. I just wanted to leave you in suspense. And you can, there you can support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. They have in-depth video courses on every Linux and cloud topic. If you're in the DevOps field, they have courseware just for you. If you want to go get certifications, they got tracks that are built just for that. And if you're ready to deep dive into single topics, you got 15, 20 minutes tonight, they got something for you too. Learn about firewalling or how the file system works. Finally get permissions nailed. How do ACLs really work? How do extended attributes work? They got courseware just on that. And then if you ever get stuck, they got full-time human beings that are there and ready to help. In fact, they have a full instructor staff that's constantly adding, updating, maintaining the courseware at Linux Academy and keeping your subscription valuable. And you can start with a seven-day free trial at linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program for so darn long. And there's lots of Coder Radio listeners over there, too. So if you join the community, you'll be among friends. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. So Stack Overflow has released their annual survey of developers. And they have a bunch of different developers that have chimed in. Self-described back-end developers made up 57.9%. A full-stack developer made up 48.2%. And a front-end developer, 37.8%. And mobile developers only weighing in at 20% of those surveyed, which I thought was kind of interesting. And uh, the numbers of contributing to open source were the exact opposite of what I expected. All respondents said that no, 56.4% of them do not contribute to open source, and 43.6% said they do. I actually thought it'd be reversed. Um, And when you look at just professional developers, the numbers don't change much. Coding is a hobby, 80% said yes, 19% said no. 
There's a lot of different things in here, though, that I found to be pretty interesting, including how long people took to learn and stuff like that. But of course, the thing that I couldn't help but notice is that Linux was significantly well represented in this. In fact, Linux is moving to be one of the number oh, one yeah. development platforms that the developers use. What do you do? You want to start there? I mean, there's lots to get into, but man, did that totally jump out at me? So, so there's actually two two things about Linux on here that I would like to start with. One is target platform, which makes sense, right? If you're doing backend development, I mean, sure, you could be on Azure or IAS, but I hope you're not on IAS. It's a bad place. Um, Azure is fine. I like Azure, but you might also be on BSD, but at some point, you know, BSD just hurts more than it's worth. That was for you, Alan. Um, it's not just, did you, see, did you see that, the the two data points, though? It's not just that it's the target platform, right? It's also the dev environment that people are working in yeah. for yeah. their machine. Mm-hmm. It, what is it? It's only a few percentage points off from Mac OS. Yeah, yep, exactly. So, Which is amazing. I mean, we've been doing the Stack Overflow surveys for, for the entire length of the show, and that was not the case before. Yeah, Visual Studio Code, also super well Dominating. represented. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Windows still doing pretty well, uh, but amongst uh, but, but but boy, we talk about a decline for Windows and a huge rise for Linux. That is really something. The majority have at least two monitors too, which I thought was kind of funny. I like that. <laughs> um, then there was also the most loved, dreaded, and wanted platforms. Linux was the most loved at seventy six point five, but then check this out: serverless was the second most loved platform at seventy five point two followed by AWS, and then the Raspberry Pi. Then the uh, a couple bit further down was iOS and Apple TV and Apple Watch and Mac OS. <laughs> what? Then Firebase and then Android. Android way down on the list there. That's a bad show. The most dreaded was SharePoint. <laughs> of course. That may, I mean, yep. I sh- just shook a little bit. I keep it going. Yeah. Drupal, Salesforce, and developing for mainframes, uh, WordPress, and Windows Phone uh, competing for uh, shared hate. And then the most wanted. The most wanted, you know, like, uh, I think to get better. I don't know what wanted really means. But number one, Android. Number two, Raspberry Pi. Number three, AWS. Number four, Linux. And number five, iOS. Google Cloud Platform makes a few honorable mentions on the list, too. But, um, man, does Linux just make a dominant showing now. Woo! Woo! Visual Studio Code is uh, pretty popular. I was really surprised by that. Amongst mobile developers, you won't be too shocked to learn that Android Studio dominates there. And uh, Xcode as well. That's no shocker. (laughs) When you sort of don't really have any other good choice. Yeah, it's funny how that works, huh? Yeah. Was there any trends or any numbers in here that felt like it was out of sync with what you personally have experienced? Um, you know, I, I nothing I mean, shocked me other than really just how popular Linux was. Nothing. So, so the the, the two shocking things for me was uh, actually serverless and Linux. And that was the term. Yeah, I think, right. Minutes ago. Right. Right. Like I get like why like Lambda, AWS Lambda, or Azure Functions, which are you know two prominent serverless technologies, are convenient. But it seems it, it it seems odd that they would get so much adoption so quickly, given that you you know most enterprises, most you know things that are already in production already have infrastructure behind them. Yep. Um, I have thoughts on this. Um, go because we did a we did sort of a rundown on TechSnap, and so I kind of did a deep dive into all of this. And there's a lot of trends that you could point to, including infrastructure management, uh, containerization, Docker, 
um, serverless. They all are really about de-emphasizing the role of the sysadmin and empowering the developer to go from concept to actually deploying code much faster. If you think about when, you know when we started the show, it was much closer to go deploy a rack system. You know, you order the hardware, you got to figure out how much hardware you want. You provision that somebody slides into a rack for you. They set they set up the base operating system. They create you a user account that probably doesn't have all the privileges you need, and then they email you the SSH login info and say, okay, you're good to go. And then you you know if you don't have the package, then you email the sysadmin back and say, hey, can you install this Apache module? I need this as well. And then he gets to it later that day. He logs in with the box. The app gets the Apache module. Writes you back. You say it's done. You log in. You say, oh shit. Um, turns out that's not the right version. I need a newer version that's in the Debian repo. And then he takes two days to get back to you because now he's got to go and install it and go build it himself and he's grumpy about it. And that's how you deployed software and set up code in the past. And now with serverless, I believe, is the ultimate version of developers are just totally running the show now. They're totally running the infrastructure show. They've outsourced infrastructure management to the professionals. They don't ever have to talk to them. They have this great abstraction layer between them. They just ship their Go app up to Lambda. It executes and returns the results. They save the results. Good to go. They never had to order a server. They never had to email a tech guy. It's all manageable, and they don't have to, they don't have to fuss with it. And what I think we are seeing in 2018 is the complete swing from the sysadmins control everything to now the developers control everything. And if you look at Linux as a platform, it was built around the sysadmin. You want to install some software? You got to be root. You want to open up a port? You got to be root. You got to have these permissions, these file permissions. Everything has to be just right. And it's really about the sysadmin. The sysadmin sets up the box. He sets up the software. And then the users use the system that the sysadmin has provided them. This is all being flipped on its head. And containerization and serverless is the ultimate manifestation of this shift of power, I think. And I, it's happened right in front of our faces as we've done these 300 episodes. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. I mean, there was a point when I was debating the virtue of just like getting a rack server, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. which now would be completely insane. Ridiculous. Um, the Linux thing, the thing that wasn't surprising for me, though, was like just the dominance of JavaScript, right? Just the absolute you know, what was it? It was the, it's the number one most used language according to the, to the survey. Oh, um, let me pull up. I just had that. It wasn't Rust, although that was the most beloved. <laughs> you probably saw that. No. Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> Scrolling up. Also, apparently, F-sharp makes the most money, uh, yeah. as, as well as Clojure and Perl still raking in a handsome uh, salary as well. Uh, but the number, let's see, that's the visual. What is it? Do you remember? I don't know if I remember. Redis is the most loved wanted database. Uh, right. Libraries and tools, TensorFlow is libraries the most loved. Um, Rust is uh, the dreaded is Visual, Visual Basic six, and wanted is Python, and loved is Rust. But yeah, platforms. What were hey, you, long time? Lo, go ahead. What, what, what specific answer were you looking for out of there? Were you looking for anything particular? No, it's just a, JavaScript is sixty nine point eight percent. HTML. Sorry, right. This is what you're looking for. JavaScript this is sixty nine point eight percent. HTML is sixty eight point five percent, and uh, then it just kind of trails off from there. I feel like over the years we've been doing the show, we've seen a maturing of JavaScript from annoying scripting language that I have to do because jQuery to actual viable mature programming language that you can write large-scale applications in. I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. Side note, friend of the show, uh, uh, Miss Holmes of Theranos, apparently is going to jail. 
Why? What? 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 Where, where did this come the from? The SEC, Ars Technica, this just came up. Someone sent it to me. No kidding. The SEC charges Theranos with massive fraud. CEO of home stripped of control. <laughs> uh, breaking news oh, on the Coder Radio take program. It, called it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Huh. Okay. So um, let's transition from the 2018 Stack Overflow results to your observations about the last 10 years of living with an SDK. A particular SDK. Mm, particular SDK, though. The iOS SDK. Yeah, yeah. How's that been? I mean, that's... Has, what? It, it, see, it feels like a lot's changed. Uh, at the same time, not a ton has. Um, but uh, I sit further removed. So I was thinking about this a lot this morning because I, I didn't know. Should I put this in the notes? Should I not? I think the iOS SDK literally changed my life and I think... a a number of other developers' lives for the better. Um, you know, let's let's go back in a time machine. Let's go to 2008. If it weren't for this, I would have still been doing, like, websites and Java applets, right? I'd be working in some big company, which is nothing wrong with being a dark matter develop, developer, but, you know, it's not really what I wanted. The iOS SDK was so new, and the fact that Apple insisted on no Flash apps and no... Uh, um, really cross solutions other than HTML5 meant that people had to choose to do Objective-C. Am I, this is not going to be a swift bashing session yet. What that did for Mike of the past was it let me, who was young and you know didn't really have too many responsibilities, take a huge risk, mm. right? Huge, absolutely huge. Learn this language that no, that is completely unmarketable to anywhere but iOS development. Remember, iOS development was not a not a certain thing the day it launched, right? Yeah, but it made me and and other people who who took this gamble a rare commodity, right? A, a rare um, service provider, which basically just allowed me to build a business from there because you know at one point i was one of three ios dev shops in new jersey and oh, the, the big the, the the big digital agencies didn't at least local to where i was it did not take ios development seriously um and even when they started taking it seriously they just outsourced it all to, to us because they you know you have to remember like people say like it's a little different now like there's a lot of like similarities between dev shops and agencies and you could argue they are the same but back then, you know, digital agencies were doing, like, print ad buying, right? And they were doing, like, design work and maybe a little bit of, like, you know, WordPress. They didn't want to take on this crazy Objective-C engineering. And remember, when the iOS SDK first came out, it was rough. I mean, this was a true C, C-like system, right? It's built on Mac. We're uh, very similar to Mac. So it, it created this whole new market where you... And this is maybe a bit of a stretch, but it enabled a lot of people, I think, to open businesses um, and compete in a market that was so immature that the large players didn't care for at the time that it just opened the doors. I mean, I, I, I'm just, you know, going through it, the – I mean, you were there. How crazy – like how serious – no one thought the App Store was going to be serious because things like this – you know, uh, Windows Phone, right? There were the old version of uh, Windows, whatever they call it, had apps kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, the Palm had it. Mm-hmm. But 
BlackBerry, but like mm-hmm. the carriers yeah. got all the money, yeah. right? Like it was awful if you were an app developer. So Apple so in bad. the seventy thirty, it was it really revolutionized that. Um, and you know, I also think that the iPhone and that development model has actually empowered a frankly a, a generation of developers such as myself who really would not have been able to do any of this stuff. Right? I mean, people whine about making money online today. Making money on the internet in 2008, 2010 was not too good, right? <laughs> trying to monetize a website then was not super easy either. Right. Or trying to make money, a living selling a Windows app was nearly impossible because you didn't have distrib- nearly- distribution mechanisms. It was hard to reach the audience. Right. Mac was slightly better, but you you really had to get like a Jim Dalrymple or someone like that to basically promote you. Yeah, right about it. Right. And it, and if you didn't, you were screwed because who's going to go to, you know, chris'sapps.com and, and give him give you their credit card or PayPal you some money and buy your app back yeah. then? No yeah. one. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So uh, I, I, you know, thinking back, I think there was – the hint was – that there was a hacking community that was developing around the iPhone to jailbreak it and install their own side apps. But we were also being told at the time, hey, you know what? we got these web apps, and they're going to be a great way to run apps on a phone. And uh, there was sort of that battle to be had, and that's also what WebOS came with, is, hey, we're going to have web apps. This is a great way to do it. Ubuntu Phone tried that as well. Um, so we had to watch that battle play out to see if that would work, or would, did, would it require native apps? But what we, I think what we learned was... When you combine a distribution mechanism, when you create a point where people know to go to find the application, and then you iterate on the features of the platform, so you encourage users to keep upgrading, like faster CPUs, improved GPS, improved camera, improved cell phone modem speed, Uh, you know, now, of course, all the things are doing, like better screens, larger screens, AR. They're They're trying to continue that on, but early on in the process, there were fundamental improvements. You know, the first iPhone didn't ship with an app store and it didn't even ship with 3G. It was a it was a old edge phone. It just was crazy. It, it was it was crazy. Um, and then they iterated on that. And Android also did very quickly. And, and you got to give Google some credit. Like they started out so, so rough. I forget what it was, was it the Android market before it was called the Play Store. And it was so bad. And uh, yeah, the Android Marketplace, yeah, yeah, the Android, and they they iterated pretty quickly, and they launched the Play APIs, and they really started to solve some problems. I mean, at a looking back at it, at what now looks like a breakneck pace. Back then, it felt like we were waiting forever to get these features, but now you look back at it and go, wow, they really hustled to get up to feature parity. And so the Android platform very very doggedly did that as the iOS platform continued on, and they both offered this new thing, which wasn't available really to developers. Um, at least to any wide capacity, and that is a centralized app store with a review mechanism, a payment mechanism, so I didn't have to give payments information to each freaking developer for each app I want to buy. And they, 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 they set up these OSs in a way that I, as an end user, not even having to understand how sandboxing works, somehow know that I can load these phones up with these apps and it's not going to trash my system like it would slow down an old Mac or an old Windows box. So there was a lower level of risk for users to experiment. I didn't have to give payment information out a thousand times and it was just one tap to delete it and I could leave them a bad review. And so the barrier of entry was lower for developers, it was lower for end users, and it was just like adding fuel to a fire. And I think that's why it worked 
I, I just think that's why it, when you say it enabled a new generation of developers, I think that's one of the reasons it works so well. And what the hell's going to come along that replace that? <laughs> you know, like how do you top that? <laughs> I can't imagine. It's well, be I, I think. Eventually. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I we we argue about this all the time, right? What? And I think, and this is where these chapter marks are going to come in handy. Um, I think we have been a little negative on Apple. Because looking back, Apple's done a lot of dumb things, right? Like when they decide they want to impose their own like social mores and blah, blah, blah on people. Mm. And they overreact and like start ripping out Civil War video games or, you know, educational programs because they don't like whatever. Um, that, that's too much. But the idea of an open marketplace, because the App Store is relatively open. Right, they do bad things. I've had issues. You know, we had the thing where they took down, they unfeatured Coder Radio, and we said yep. something they didn't like. Mm-hmm. Right, yep. like, but that is just human nature. And I remember back to what it was like before the App Store. It was so much worse. It was, it, you know. So when you say where are we going, well, I, I think the future looks like the past. You know, I look at um. Uh, echo apps not apps but you know echo skills Skills, yeah and i look at the monetization story there i look at you know if i was you know in college if it was 10 years ago and i wanted to you know just write younger version of me right mike today who's who's in college getting out just getting out of college starting a business what's going to happen um well i don't know how that mike makes any money I mean, sure, you can do consulting and you can build uh, echo skills for other people, but the pool of people who are going to want you to do that is going to be much lower because there's no way to really monetize it. I know, I understand that Amazon does send checks to people, but that's little more than uh, than you know, Jeff, Mr. Bezos's grace, right? Mm. <laughs> there's no like, like, like again, there's no full time strategy there. Right. We rightly beat up on Apple, but. The norm of you having a backend that you log into to the platform vendor site and they give you how many sales you have, where they came from, what the conversion rate was, foreign currency, uh, what what your year-to-date is, what your month, monthly is, and when your next wire transfer is coming in. That is if, – if you did any kind of like BlackBerry development, what I just described is heaven, right? iTunes Connect for all its warts was absolutely revolutionary. The idea that the individual developer could, and I understand, and I, again, you can play tapes of myself criticizing Apple, but more or less be on an open um, uh, an open plane, a, a flat plane against larger companies or larger developers is something that did not exist until Apple made it happen, right? Your best bet in the past was you do some kind of freeware shareware version and, you know, like Diablo 1, you try to monetize it after the fact. But then you have piracy and you basically made no money. Yeah. Um, what what I'm worried about is I, I see all the, like, I, I think Echo Skills are amazing. I think these voice assistants, um, I think bots, I think all this stuff is going to be huge. Making money on this stuff is very, very hard. It looks like the strategy is going to have to be a holistic one of the bot or the skill, whichever term you prefer. I, I tend to think that echo skills are actually just a form of bot, but um, I agree is not your product. It is another box you have to tick 
as part of your entire go-to-market strategy, right? And you have to monetize your service in some other way, whether that be consulting or you have like a, uh, you know, crypto you know, miner. We, 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 <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perhaps not. Yeah, Maybe okay, not the Bitcoin, but you get what you got. What I'm saying, right? Or, yep. or am I off the rail? No, I totally follow you. I like it, and uh, it's it's um, it's the accumulation of really five years of reflecting on this stuff. And actually, you're not just reflecting on it; you're actually out there working it, trying to make it successful. And I totally follow. Like, how would how would new Mike start today? I wonder that about Chris too. How would new Chris start today? I don't know how to make it work. So we just got to keep doing what we're doing, I guess. I guess we just do this for another five years, Mike. That's what, that's that's the solution. <laughs> Anyways, here's to another three hundred. Yes, here's another three hundred, Mister Dominic. Another two thousand days of Coda Radio. Is there anywhere you'd like to send people uh, throughout the week to get more Dominic in their face? Uh, yeah, go to themadbotter.com and follow me on Twitter at Dumanuko. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter too at Chris Les. The whole network at Jupiter Signal and the Coda Radio program at Coder Radio Show. And also check out Coder.show, the new site dedicated just to the Coder Radio program. And let us know what you think, your feedback, what you'd like to see for the next 300 episodes. And find our live times at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Coder Radio program. We hope you've enjoyed it. Oh, and one last plug. Go to Coder.show slash subscribe and get all 300 of the next episodes automatically every single week delivered to your podcast catcher. It's a beautiful thing. Thanks for being here. See you next week.